welcome to my third episode in the series. In this episode, I will look back at the history of the O'Connor Kerry clan, its castle, the siege, and the scenic area of Barry Longford that makes up a rich tapestry of Danny Houlihan's Irish experience. Carrigavoy Castle is located on the outskirts of the scenic village of Valley Longford, North Kerry. After leaving Asti village, continue along the road for several kilometres until you reach a sign on the road to Carrigavoy Castle. Take a left and pass through Rosheen. The landscape opens up along the estuary on your right with waders and seabirds in their natural habitats. The road winds its way along scenic views to the majestic ruins of the Gaelic castle of O'Connor Kerry. This is the rock of the chasm, Carrigafoyle. The O'Connor Kerry clan can trace their long and noble lineage back to Ciar, son of Queen Maeve of Connacht and Fergus Mormachry of Ulster. Maeve was born in Roscommon in a place called Rachrochan. Ciar was, according to the manuscripts of the time, educated in a place near Abbey Field, County Limerick, and spent many years there, being educated in the old ways of ancient Ireland. Once Keir's education was completed, he was elevated by the people of the area, now known as North Kerry, as Prince. This title and his many deeds afforded Keir the honour of having the area known as Kiri. In the centuries to follow, the county would bear his illustrious name, Keir or Kerry. In the preceding decades to follow, Keir's ancestors would take on the role as protectors and upholders of the Catholic faith and the monastic centres which dotted the Kerry landscape, even down to the swing of a broadsword against its enemies, both the Vikings and the Norman invaders. Early Christian centres, churches and monasteries were established under their era as kings of Kerry, as well as the works of art like the Liz Lockton Processional Cross now in the National Museum of Ireland. St. Brendan, who was born in 484 AD, was the internationally celebrated navigator. He was a member of the Kira Altraha and a descendant of Kira. It is stated that St. Brendan, in his epic voyages, landed in America prior to Christopher Columbus, thus spreading the word of God to the New World. I will visit sites and wells associated with St. Brendan in another episode. 966 AD, Concover. In 966 AD, the name Concover appears in the history of the clan. This name will be used for future generations as O'Connor. It appears that Concover had a castle at Riachnafaila on Dune Promontory, Ballybunion. There, the clan prospered for many decades, until the dark forces of the Viking and Norman invaders arrived in the area. After the chieftain died, his son took over. It should be noted that on Dune Promontory, the ruins of the castle still stands, in defiance to the elements, a reminder of the clan and their illustrious history. The remains of this castle can be found on Dune Promontory, Ballybunion, facing the famous Bramore Cliffs. Battle of Clontarf, 1014. On Good Friday, 23rd of April, 1014, Irish chiefs stood defiant on the battlefields of Clontarf, facing the Viking power of Europe. The massed armies were led by Brian Boru High King, and forming part of that great army was a battalion from Riachnafaila 
Dun Pramatri Ballybonin, led by their chief, Bedan O'Connor. It was a decisive battle for the Irish, and the result was a win. But for the battalion, they lost their chief, Bedan, and also High King Brian Boru, who was slain on that fateful day. 1169 saw the arrival in Ireland of the Normans. Their military conquest had begun and the fortune of the O'Connor Kerry clan was to suffer, with the loss of sizeable ancestral lands south of the Cashin River. In 1470, John O'Connor Kerry, aided by his wife Margaret, initiated the building of the fine friary of Lislochton for the Franciscan order and his private church at Carrigafoyle. Indeed, it can be stated that under his leadership, the art of the stone mason was used to highlight his legacy. In another programme, I will visit Lislochton Abbey and hear of its unique history. In the year 1485, the famous chief of the clan, John O'Connor Kerry, died, and according to his wishes, was interred within the confines of the friary which he founded. This ceremony was marked by all of the clan, with deep emotion, with his wife and two sons present at the burial. Succeeding John was his son Connor, who took the title as chieftain of his clan and the whole area of Arachde Connor. Connor was an able chief and moved quickly with marriage alliances to strengthen his hand. The building of Carrigafoyle Castle. In the year 1490, Connor Leo O'Connor Kerry commenced the building of Carrigafoyle Castle. Carrigafoyle, when built, was known as the most impregnable castle in Ireland. Fortifications ordered. The Earl of Desmond dispatched orders to the castle garrison, ordering its defences to be strengthened immediately. The castle was garrisoned by a number of 19 Spaniards and 50 Irish. That included women and children, who were all living in the castle at the time. Under Captain Julian, the garrison and all hands were put to use to fortify the famous castle, expecting a support fleet of ships from Philip of Spain. Day and night, by hand and axe, the clan and his people rose as massive defences. And when finished, realised the long and weary wait for siege was now at their castle door. The Siege of Carrigafoyle Castle, Palm Sunday, April 1580. The castle was strategically located, thus as one of the most defensible castles on the landscape of North Kerry. It became prime target of the English military, who were burning the countryside around them. It was not long before the Queen's fleet, under Admiral Willem Winter, made its way from the mouth of the Shannon Estuary, passing Bramore Cliffs and Bale Strand, finally dropping anchor off Bunnaclugger Bay and dispatched their troops and offloaded their five massive cannons to the shoreline. Once the English had established their positions under the command of Lord Justice Pelham, directly across from the castle, and their ships in position in the bay, the Lord Justice, dressed in his full military attire, rode up to the defended castle on horseback and requested that the castle surrender immediately to him under the name of Queen Elizabeth I. The response from the O'Connor Kerry chieftain and his garrison was a musket shot which blew off the commander's helmet. Narrowly defying death, the Lord Chief Justice returned to his camp and dispatched orders to the Queen's fleet to deploy all ordnance on the castle. Wave upon wave, cannonballs played upon Carrigafoyle Castle's defences without mercy. Only minor damage was inflicted, if any. The barrage was heard according to the annals of Ireland in Galway. The cannons fired relentlessly at the castle 
from the estuary side and the landward side, Carrigafoyle stood defiant. Finally, on the 29th of March, a breach was made by the raining cannon. A lighted candle placed by a female servant in an act of treachery in a window nearest its weakest point, adjacent to one of the vaulted rooms. The barrage focused on this area, resulting in the wall and floor collapsing, killing all below it. O'Connor was not surrendering and continued to hold firm with his garrison, removing the stairs banisters in readiness for the impending attack. Captain Macworth stormed the breach and a lengthy sword fight took place between the Irish and English soldiers. Casualties were taken by the English in attempting to take the upper floors as the O'Connor was above them and after removing the banisters it proved difficult for the English. Finally, after days of sword fighting, the castle fell with the occupants, women and children hanged from the nearby trees. O'Connor escaped and took to the woods for sanctuary to his people. However, it was not lucky for three old friars at Lislockton Friary, who were put to the sword by Pelham's forces on that fateful day, others taking refuge in the community of Ballylongford. I will visit the friary during another part of our series and experience its rich history. Elizabethan pen and ink drawing, 1580. During the siege of Carrigafoyle Castle, the taking was documented by a pen and ink drawing depicting the scene of the castle on the day and the positions of the cannon that day. This unique historic illustration depicts three large ships of the English fleet anchored off Carrig Island in full military operations against the castle. The large siege guns pointed at the battlements, discharging their massive ordnance, the smoke from the discharge of the mighty guns wafting over the Shannon Tide. Five large siege guns with massive ordnance were placed on the landward side of the castle, facing the massive stone defence walls protecting the castle. These massive barns were erected under the orders of Captain Julian, who pushed the garrison of Carrigafoyle to the limit when under construction. Both inner and outer walls had plenty of lookout points. This made the castle virtually impregnable. From the drawing we can see large earthworks which were constructed on the estuary side of the castle on Carrig Island. These aided the castle's defences. The drawing identifies a large belt of trees on the estuary side and landward side where the large siege guns were placed. Nothing remains of these trees today, only stumps in the mud when the tide goes out. The tents of the English military were located near Carrigafoyle Church. This church is still in existence today, but in ruins. Leaving Carrigafoyle Castle, we can take away the fact that the county took its name from the clan and that the family were held in high regard in the surrounding countryside. The nearby towns had castles or structures by O'Connor, indicating the value of its local builders, craftsmen and artistic stonemasons. That work was repaid by the chieftain to them with their tenure on their land on the landscape of North Kerry. I will return again to Carrigafoyle and pay tribute to the clan, a part of our culture, a part of our past.